Mr. David Paris, thank you for coming on the podcast today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fantastic, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited for our conversation today. You've had a pretty intense 18 months, I would say. Um, and today we're going to talk about it. And, you know, sort of just to give a bit of a brief intro is that in, I believe it was March of 2020, uh, you yeah. contracted COVID and you had a real rough go of it. And then, you know, you, a few months later, you know, thank God you came out on the other side and um, you wrote a book and it's a great read and it's called A COVID Story and I would highly recommend it to everyone. I'll put the link in the description, of course, but we're going to talk about it here today for sure. So how about we start at the beginning? Um, what was going on when all that went down? Yeah, man. New York City was the epicenter for United States, and it was uh, it was rough. Uh, everything closed down, but at the time there was no testing, and I didn't think I thought being forty eight I would be fine. No comorbidities, and um, I actually welcomed uh, getting it. I thought if I got this disease, I'll have the immunity, and then you know nobody can have nothing on me. And yeah. uh, that actually did not turn out the way. <laughs> That's not the way that it uh, it came out. Um, yeah, I got sick from my brother. Uh, he had it for a week. I got it uh, right from him. Um, there was uh, sicker sicker than I've ever been in my life, but not enough to go to the hospital back then. They said if you're sick, don't go to the hospital. We don't have the room, and you're more likely to get it if not. A doctor told me, hey, look, uh, you don't have it. Um, he did like, uh, he said, you're not short of breath. I know it was telecommunication mm -hmm. back then, so I wasn't too worried. And then my, the eighth day, my sister called and said, hey, look, it's the second week. That's going to be the real trouble. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then I uh, went to get some breakfast, uh, opened the door, and then realized, boy, I have no energy. And I went to sleep right in front of the fridge and uh, woke up an hour later and thought, Maybe I maybe I'm maybe I need to do something. I had a uh, friend of mine call me and say, "Hey, look, you need to go to the hospital." And before I, I couldn't say no because I was so short of breath, and I said, "Uh oh, if I'm short of breath, that means I gotta go." So mm. I didn't actually think I had COVID, but I thought, "Let me go get get it checked." I went into the hospital. The moment I walked in, I went from short of breath to couldn't breathe at all. Couldn't even say my name. Within seconds, they gave me oxygen. I was like, "Oh." I've been out without oxygen for a long time. Apparently, if you go below 90%, um, it's a big deal. I was at 70%. Jesus. So, um, yeah, and it's interesting. Like, uh, they told a lot of people to stay home, which was the right thing to do, given the crisis. But there are a lot of people I know who know people who died who stayed at home. Hmm. Um, and so it was really a horrible time in New York City. Um, and as other places are experiencing around the world, just uh, it's an overwhelming disease. Um, those first five or six days, I can't say I remember too much because I was hallucinating quite a lot. Um, and then I went from, uh, they said, hey, look, this guy is going from moderate to really, really bad. So they intubated me for a day and things were not getting any better. Hmm. They immediately put me on a machine called ECMO where they take your, uh, they, they does the, take your bloods out and oxygenates it and does the work of the heart. And it's kind of like a big deal if you're an ECMO for like open heart surgery is what they use it for usually, mm. uh, for like 24 hours. Turned out I was on it for 32 days, <laughs> which, wow. uh, yeah, it was an, it was an intense experience. Um, but so and, while you were on it, you were um, under like, a, what's it, a medically induced coma, 
right? Yeah, medically induced coma. So they gave me drugs. Uh, they needed my body to rest. I had two pneumonias. I had the COVID pneumonia and a, and a different one at the same time. Two. They said I was sick. Yeah, two. <laughs> and I was, uh, they said I was the sickest person in the hospital. They said my lungs were just basically cement, which was uh, oh, kind damn. of annoying. I always wanted abs of steel, but yeah. I guess it like moved up in the wrong way, you know? And uh, yeah. I, um, yeah, I was in real trouble. And um, it was funny because before that being, um, being a school teacher, having done, I'm a acrobatic dance champion. Uh, it was America's Got Talent. I've had a good life, and I thought, all right, I'm in my late 40s. Maybe, maybe this is it. And then, sure enough, um, I, you know, they asked a lot of people ask me, what's it like when you're in a coma? And some people, I don't don't remember everything. I remember everything. I, I was dreaming the entire time. And um, you know, you know how sometimes you remember like strong dreams that like stay with you for years. Yeah, uh, it was it was very much like that. Except, and anybody who's been in this experience, if you read about it, they all talk about their dreams. It's like very very clear that we're still there. And um, I remember my earliest dream was when I confronted death, and I thought, you know, well, I've had a good life. And then that moment where I realized I was going to die. I was like, I take it back. I want to live. <laughs> I'll do anything. And there was a spirit that told me, hey, look, you're dying. I'm sorry. This is it. And I begged. And he said, look, if you're going to live, you're going to have to fight harder than you ever had in your life. And that was, I, can't, I don't remember the thought after that, but I remember the intention. No, I'll do whatever it takes. I, mm -hmm. I, I really, I have to live. Yeah. I mean, that drive to survive is incredibly powerful, right? And I mean, it, it's an amazing story that, you know, anyone who goes into a coma, like, it's always fascinating to hear about people's experiences. And, you know, some people have no memory or recollection of anything. Um, and other people, the mind seems to stay sufficiently active to not only, you know, be aware of what's going on, but also to create these dream scenarios that are happening for you. And, you know, like when I was reading your book, like in it, it felt the way you sort of told these stories and the way you're speaking about it now, it's like it, it's almost as if it was more than a dream. That's right. right. Um, because right. in a dream, a lot of the times you kind of know it's a dream and you're like, ah, oh, the mind's just doing its thing. But I mean, yeah. this this is something else, right? This is where you're confronting death, you know, or you were rather, let's say. And, you know, you were making choices now, right? And so you had the sense that, like, you had the, you had a choice. Like, do you want to die or do you not want to die? And it's not just a matter of choosing. It's actually a matter of doing, right? Because the fight came afterwards. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, I've been a fighter my whole life for sure. And, mm. and definitely that fight, I've been told... They, they thought I was going to die. They, my heart stopped four times. They let me, they let my family know, look, he's not, uh, he's not going to make it. Um, and it, it, and everybody else anywhere near as bad as me didn't make it. Um, mm. So definitely there is a lot of fight in me. I can't take credit from consciously, but I do know, um, I, I, I do have that passionate really uh th there's so many things i want to do i was just telling you like earlier earlier before we got on like you know i got these books to write <laughs> still yeah. i'm not i'm not done you know and uh, so 
Yeah, I, I had that. And I do know that like the outside world influences your dreams, but it's not like I could tell you for sure. Anybody who's been through the experience, they say these dreams are different. They're spiritual. They're interpreting what's happening in your body. And there's also like interpreting. They, they played my favorite music is Latin dance. Like mm. I love salsa and my dance partner put salsa on 24 <laughs> seven. And I remember those dreams, man. I remember I was like <laughs> dancing in all these like in all these uh wonderful places and that's also a passion of mine like you know i did well but i'm not done you know i still there's some yeah. moves i still want to get done and that helped me and it's it's interesting they they, they say like it, who how much of you are, are really there and they measure the brain waves i'm telling you man we we the patients there are there and everything that's done makes the difference yeah measured or not i mean you know you have the story to tell it like Definitely. they could tell you that oh no you didn't have sufficient brain activity but you could be like okay but I mean, no. so what, what exactly was this experience? Do you think I just made it up on the spot to impress <laughs> you? Like, no, I mean, this was a even life, when I woke up, yeah, life yeah, transforming. Even when I woke up, Sorry, go ahead. I saw the medical reports of what they were saying about me. Um, is that he's not really conscious and all this other stuff. Man, I remember all those details. <laughs> I, yeah. can, I <laughs> really definitely, like the first week or so. I'm, now, mind you, I was a little, I was a little out there for sure. But um, I remember everything that was going on. So it's... Um, it's interesting. I mean, maybe I've been my whole life. I've always uh, I wake up every time from a dream and I write it down. So mm. part of me is like uh, I might have been better able to capture those moments than other people. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, it, it's definitely we're, we're conscious. What, what was your sense of time like? Was there any sense of time? You know, there's two things to say. One, it felt, you know, like when you enter a dream and when you're in that dream world, time does not exist. It's like something, it's a different, it's very much like that. And then when you wake up, I actually thought I was only out for five or six days. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I was out for a month. <laughs> so uh, it's a hell of an so, awakening. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, I actually didn't believe it. For the longest, they had to convince me that like, you know, uh, I've been through a lot. And I was like, ah, you know, I was just out a few days. There's no problem. And it was only when they showed me a calendar. I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> I really, I really, uh, there's a lot more to it than I realized. Yeah. So in some way, time doesn't exist. And in other ways, there's so much that happens. I can't, it's hard to describe, but because you're dreaming 24 seven and you're really active and your consciousness is active and you're fighting for your life, um, I can remember, it's a, it's a sad, even a year later, I'm still sad about it, but I remember just raking uh, leaves in a field for, for days at a time. So there's a tedium that you have mm -hmm. to deal with um, that, yes, time doesn't exist, but in a, in, in a different way, you know how much you had to struggle to get there. Like I remember one dream where I was suddenly on the side of a boat, you know, and I, I was just about to die. I, I knew it if I let go. So I refused to let go. But unfortunately, <laughs> that boat kept going, you know, and nobody was capturing me. And obviously, that's another uh, metaphor for my, you know, fighting for my life. But, um, you know, and you get, I think the river sticks is some, some, some message from mythology, but like, for sure, uh, time takes forever. And, it was not fun. Like it was really hard. Yeah, no, I'm not jealous. Uh, I don't think it's, and I don't think anyone's listening being like, man, I want to do that. <laughs> um, but so when, when you say that you were having these dreams and you, you were fighting for your life, right? What, what does that mean? So you said like, you gave a good example, right? Like you were hanging on the side of a boat such yeah. that if you've, you know, let go, you would die. 
So is was is that the kind of fight that you were going through where you were having these scenarios, quote unquote scenarios being played out? Some I don't remember everything, but sure. I remember some of it. You know, and I, I remember like it's funny, my sister uh was telling me on FaceTime through through the iPad while I was in the coma about like people who were donating money on my behalf. And um, I remember those moments because uh, in, in my in my dreams, I was still establishing, um, uh, uh, <laughs> I was donating after selling this business, I was donating all this money and wanting credit for it. When I woke up, I'm like, yo man, check out my name on the on the donors planner, you know? <laughs> and the nurse is like, all right, whatever, yeah. you know? <laughs> And so um, not all the dreams were suffering. Some of them were taking in what's happening on the outside. You know, one of my strongest dreams that stays really changed my life. Um, my whole life I've been searching for um, some level of greatness, whether uh, it was being a writer or, or being a dancer, being a school teacher, like being the best at something. And I wasn't really happy unless I achieved uh, something like that. And, you know, I've gotten hundreds of standing ovations in my career. And those are momentarily good, but it doesn't satisfy my soul, you know? Mm -hmm. And there was a higher level. And, and I know in my dream, it was weird. There's one moment I finally figured out, oh, I can get that magical, it was a diamond on the bottom of the world. But for me, that diamond meant achieving everything. And then it was weird because I knew that if I got that diamond, I'd have to run people over. And at that moment, I didn't care. I just wanted it. It was like this selfish thing that I guess is inside of me. And I just grabbed it and I took it to the top of the world. Uh, and and I finally was just like ready to like to adore me with all my ambitions. I finally achieved it. And what happened actually was just the opposite a spirit came an indian spirit with a sword it sliced me in half um hmm. quite shockingly i know um and in that moment it was explained to me I, it wasn't like even words it was just a feeling like oh i had thought that if i got this i would be happy but actually this is nothing um and the spirit had me turn to my left and I saw millions, an uh, infinite amount of universes, multiverses that existed at the same time. Mm -hmm. And it was like clear, why was I so caught up on this little sense of, oh, if I got into Cirque du Soleil or, or if I won, if I won America's Got Talent rather than being a finalist, you know, like maybe then I would be happy. And one, I guess it's almost a little more than a year now later, that dream still stays with me. I'm clear that there is no happiness in, in, in destination. There's happiness, um, you can still seek, <laughs> you know, we still try to do things that, that make us happy, but the happiness is a now and how we get there. Like slight, life might be slightly better, but who we are right now is what counts. Hmm. And it was one of a spiritual, like, so some of the dreams were tough, but that dream I think was a, a gift. I'm a spiritual believer. And that was a gift from God, like to change who I was. Um, and that's a message I try to, you know, share now. I'm still, you know, it's not the easiest to live it. <laughs> it's yeah. like it was clear, and it's still like it's like, all right, what's preventing me from being happy? Why am I doing destination, or am I just living with who I am right now and what I want to do and being my best self and valuing myself for who I am? It's a whole belief system that I grew up like most people. Capitalist society, you have to do something to be happy, and and you know, grades yeah. and all this other stuff and accomplishments, and I mean, we're all familiar with that. And it's easy to see. It's really hard to undo. But I got I got a sword through me. It was pretty clear. That's I mean, <laughs> that's a hell of a dream, right? And I mean, it's it's always fascinating to me to hear of 
people's stories of these like mystical transformational moments and you know it happens to people differently like for you it happened in this case in a dream and for other people that kind of happens just one day when they're walking on the street and for other people they do a bunch of drugs and come close to death and you know i mean it's not a recommended route but like some people have done it um (laughs) you know and and also the interesting part is that there's also a bunch of people who are trying to do that right yeah which is kind of conflicting with the essence of the message which is that trying is not going to get you there right um you got to just be happy and find it right now with wherever you are with wherever you are in life and find the beauty in in the sort of the present moment as it as it were you know um it's so weird because you you, it's like trying to find the present uh, the beauty and present moment but not trying to find it yeah (laughs) (laughs) like taking the trying out of it the ambition the desire like I, that's what I learned is, is so much of that trying is related to destination mm-hmm. rather than experiencing. And then if you just say, oh, I'll just experience. For me, I'm a horrible meditator, man. I just go and I start thinking about other things. And, and so what does it mean to achieve that? Uh, I could say, you know, in, in college, I was a religion major. And then I walked away because I, I got into Latin dance. I was like, I forget mm-hmm. that religion stuff. But, um, you know, switch. <laughs> yeah, the near death will throw you right back into religion real fast. And yeah. uh, for sure, the question of meaning in God and, and what does it mean to experience some serenity and in, in the now? You know, I've read that Power of Now book numerous times and never got a cent, never, never got it at all. Mm. Now I do. I was like, okay, there is, um, th- there's future thinking, there's the past thinking. Um, and to experience the present, it isn't, it, it is an ambition and that trying is ambition. It's releasing that. Um, and for me, I never was a good meditator. I couldn't do it. Uh, but when I can name the thoughts, name them and, um, see them as, oh, there's the worry thought trying to get here, um, and peel off every illusion that comes off as they, as they show up, then I can, uh, begin to experience a level of spirituality and connection that eluded me before. Um, so my version of, of that is peeling off things. Yeah. And I mean, some would argue that that's meditation, right? Even if you don't call it that, I mean, or it's at least that's what people are trying to do when they meditate. Um, I mean that book, you know, the power of now Eckhart Tolle, it's, uh, it's one of my all time favorites. He's like my sort of online guru as it were, you know, I've never met him. Um, but his teachings have been hugely profoundly transformational for me, but Aside from that point, is that so? What's your relationship now like with with God, let's say, or, or with the spiritual side of things? Yeah, I've had a roller coaster ride, man. <laughs> I could say, yeah, it, it was a bit, um, you know, with all the experiences of connection, my community really reaching out for me. Uh, the first experience was just wonderful joy and connection and i associate a lot that you can experience god better when you feel connected to yourself in the world Mm. (laughs) you know of course yeah um, right like that's like um and i wonder to some degree whether god is connection and and um that was great then i had some severe uh doubts and um it's kind of like in the book i describe the the two wolves and as doubt comes in 
um, that's been a wrestler for me because I'm like, you know, you look at what what evidence is there, um, and I've had to let go that there is no evidence. We're never going to know uh, the search for meaning. I, I read uh, Viktor Frankl's book, The Search for Meaning, mm -hmm. and I constantly was wrecked for months around whether there's meaning or not, and only through reconciling, I'm not going to know. We're not. We're we're just not capable of that. And there may not be, or there might. <laughs> it's yeah. like either way, we're not. We really are. We're not capable of doing that. That level of letting it go has helped a lot. And the best version of my current self is, yeah, just releasing all that ambition. And for me, I, I recognize that search for meaning was just a PTSD thing. It was like just the old my version. Like you know, when you're near death and your body doesn't get a chance to process it it's going to constantly go in overdrive saying, what is life? What is life? What is life? My body was thinking it was going to die all the time. It didn't get to process it. So my own connection happened through doing somatic work mm. um, and letting my body experience what it needs to experience uh, and to, to release that, to get a clearer sense of, it's, it's a bit odd. It's not the part of the brain that thinks rationally. It's like, and then how do you connect to that other part of the brain? Um, and I, I'm not a, you know, I don't have a roadmap because my map is like a thousand places. Yeah. This is quite a, quite a roller coaster. I, I hope, <laughs> hope I didn't make it too messy in describing that. No, no, but it's, it's been, been good. Oh, it's been good. Great. Yeah. It, it just saying that like it's been up and down, um, and I'm gonna come. I'm still in that search. Quite aware that sometimes a search is still anxiety and not a spiritual trait. Of course, and you know the the path is never straightforward as much as we would like it to be and it's gonna throw you in all directions and i mean depending on how you want to phrase things you know like some people would say all the doubt and all that kind of stuff is a test or it's a challenge or it's built to make you grow and i mean i don't know if i believe that necessarily but I don't know. it I don't know. you know maybe as you say ultimately it doesn't really matter because what matters is what's happening now right um, but you brought up this point about PTSD that I have a quick question about. So, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress is uh, a rough, another rough thing to deal with, right? Because it's very intrusive, it's very disarming and disconcerting, um, and it's very difficult to deal with. Not that it's impossible to uh, handle and, you know, with the right kind of care and support and things like that, you know, you, you can... Um, make the necessary course corrections or heal, heal it if you want to say it that way. I'm not sure if, if it really ever gets healed, healed, or if you can just learn to manage it better. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a process, right? Um, yeah. But so, you know, it, it's, it's crazy because you've, you had this like really intense near death experience and then you think it's over, but it's not. <laughs> like, that's just part one. I can't one. tell you how. I can't tell you how uh, disappointing I was. The disappointing it was when I, they say PTSD comes like three to six months after the experience. Um, and I remember when it started seeping in about three months mm. um, and I suddenly didn't want to wake up because uh, you experienced the, the sleep. And what I, what I learned later is like when you wake up, it was very much re-experiencing the coma again. Mm. And then it's like, um, that was the first bit. And then I, around September, about nine months ago, just started feeling immense pain. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, PTSD then sent, is classically, it's just like people uh, re-experiencing the suffering. I don't know, for me, it wasn't like that, but I did experience immense just pain of the world or pain inside. 
And I could, the, the way I try to describe it to people is, you know, I lost a little bit of this finger here, um, hmm. which uh, they originally said it was going to be the whole, whole finger. So to have most of it is still pretty good. And this, the, the tip of it withered over the course of nine months, causing me a lot of agony. And I would say that agony is about one one hundredth of the mental pain I, I've experienced. Huh. <laughs> so, like, I try to, yeah. you know, I know, like, if somebody's experienced tragedy, they know what I'm talking about. Um, if you haven't, I, before this, I've never experienced that. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't expect other people to know. So I just try to give a, a metaphor to try to yeah. explain to people. But, like, um, it, it's been a rough road. Uh, it's much better now than it was uh, a year ago. Um, I've been doing a lot, lots of therapeutic work and, um, you know, I could say one of my best moments is actually just sharing with other people who've experienced trauma. It wasn't my same, but they knew when they, like you said, it's not something that just goes away, but it's something that's going to stay with you. But how you, how you keep company, how you keep it company is something you can control. And, um, yeah, that to me was immense. Yeah, no, I mean, I've I've never, you know, thank God, been through anything like that, and so I I can't relate on that level. But it 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 I would hate to, you know, sort of imagine that that that's how you have to deal with things. But the problem is, life throws shit at you that you don't expect or want, and then you got to figure it out, you know, and you just get yeah. you just get dealt a hand of cards, and sometimes. That's, it's a rough hand. Um, but the, the interesting part about it is that, you know, wisdom comes through suffering a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, just as an example, like after you, ha you having been through all of this has the potential to help and transform so many people's lives who are suffering similarly or even if it's not the same situation, but just the idea of, you know, I mean, I think that's sort of roughly called peer support, where it's like shared experience of something or other and and spreading the healing that goes with it, right? Both for yourself and for others. Um, for sure. I know that the, the book, I, there are COVID survivors who have read my book and who I don't know, mm -hmm. who were totally moved and so thankful that because it's a little bit in the news talking about the the mental health struggles of people with covid and definitely there's brain fog and definitely has uh, experienced quite a that quite a bit of that but the people who are intubated a lot of them are going through ptsd and and ptsd is tr is tricky it's not um it's not a science for recovery yet they they have some idea and things are a little bit better than they used to um but it's not and the book is written for them. You know, it's like I give the book away for free. Anybody just emails me. Um, it's my pleasure to share. Uh, That's amazing. Share that. Yeah. It, well, it's it's a. I didn't like writing it. It was hard. You know, like people, people, people always say, "Oh wow, it's such a." Because I mean, it's funny when you read the book. You, you read it, right? Yeah. It's it, it's a funny book. So I keep it yeah. lighthearted. I keep it uplifting. Um, so it's interesting and it's super easy to read. And I did that on purpose. Um, but the actual writing of it, I had to re-experience everything again. <laughs> it was yeah. like not not easy. Um, but I did it to, to share with other people, both people who were uh, experienced. And then especially I have a lot of friends who have no don't know anybody who's been affected mm -hmm. by COVID. Uh, I have friends who know multiple family members who died, but I also know people who don't. And they said, wow, the book gave me real insight. Um, and ideally, it's a pro-vaccination story. <laughs> it's like, look, don't mess with yes. this. <laughs> 
yeah. no it's true and I, i'm sure it was rough you know because reading it like you i can you i could tell that like you really went deep when you wrote it right you didn't write the surface level it wasn't just like a brief account of here are the facts and that's the end of the story right and you you take the reader on a journey as a good author does right you take the reader on the journey with you um not exactly with you but you know i, I would say that, with me i yeah really i'm trying to give all of myself to when you read the book you actually feel like you were with me and you know me yeah. right and that that's a compliment because i really put try to put myself out there yeah it was like um you know for those people who don't know the book it, it's actually, it's also an oral history so there are lots of other voices there's the doctors there are the nurses um there are the aides there are, uh the physical therapists and i try to include a lot of their voice so it gives the fullest picture possible of what the experience is yeah was it cathartic for you at all writing it the book yeah no, it's terrible. It was horrible. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> 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 uh, no, it, you know, it's funny. It's like there's this thing about trauma that like it, it's not helpful to experience too much of what you went through all at once. There's this word titration of going really, really slow. Yeah. Um, but I knew I had to I knew I had to do it and I knew I had to do it as, as soon as possible. I actually originally had a ghostwriter write it. And I had her do all the interviews with all the people and I said, write this, write, I shared my stories. I was like, write this up. And then when I saw it and uh, she, she gave me a copy, um, it was completely, I couldn't use anything. It was horrible. <laughs> it was the worst thing I've ever seen. And I was just like, oh boy, I, it looks like I'm gonna, I'm the one who needs to do this. Yeah. So then I just spent the next few months uh, just totally dedicated. It's all right, it has to be me. Yeah, well, uh, listen, it came through and and it was worth it. Um, so well done to you. But Thank so you. okay, so to continue along your story, um, so after your thirty day, thirty two day coma situation, um, so, I mean it's not a situation, but after being in a coma for thirty yeah, for thirty two days, right? Which is a hell of a long time to be in in a coma. I mean, you know, I it, you can't even really imagine that happening to you where i mean you just can't but so during that time right your body was fighting covid and these two pneumonias that you had and yeah. a host of other things right like the was it gangrene that got your finger or something um, yeah i had a, also i mean it's 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 not the bigger thing but but yeah, I had gangrene in all my fingers and toes, and they said I was going to lose a number of fingers and toes. Hmm. Um, and uh, but again, that was that's nothing compared to my heart stopping. Yeah, it's you know better to survive and have a few less fingers than. To I be, was not upset, you yeah, know, to be they, dead with they, all your fingers. Like, how's that helping? <laughs> when I woke up, they 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 really struggled about telling me about missing fingers, and I was just like, whatever. You know, I, I'm, I'm alive. I, I really didn't care. To this day, I don't care. I, I show people it's a nice talking. Yeah. I mean, you can hardly even see it. Like, it's it's just the the top bit, like the nail, maybe, for anyone yeah, who's just listening, okay. you know? They say they, they said they said that was a sign that God was with me. The the guy who uh, who, who does the hand surgeries, he said uh, he's never seen anything like that. So I, to some degree, I don't know whether is that will to live. Um, you, Constantly, they told me all these fingers were being chopped, uh, but the gangrene kept receding. Huh. And um, yeah, and uh, uh, they, 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 it was something you normally don't see. But, you know, COVID's a disease. I, I can't tell you how many times 
uh, it was in, I was cold. Oh, it's a new disease. We don't know what's going to happen. And like, how 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 quickly am I going to get back my dancing career? Like, the same answer. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And so uh, very this, frustrating. Over, um. Yeah, I hated that. <laughs> I, yeah. I was like, it was it was a bit odd, you know. But I'm an optimist. I'm, I'm always an optimist, almost to a fault. So you know, when I woke up, I told my dance partner, "Look, we're going to go do a world tour." And I'm, you know, not knowing the world fall, had fallen apart, mm-hmm. and not knowing that I couldn't stand yet. <laughs> right, that was right. So that was the other part, right? Was that when you came out, you you were, I mean, essentially, like couldn't move. I couldn't move. I couldn't twist. I couldn't lift uh, most of my limbs. Um, my right arm a little tiny bit. Couldn't press the remote for a month to change the channel. Uh, now, what was me, that from? just the the muscles atrophy though some of it was muscle atrophy and then other parts were just nerve damage from being in the same uh, position for so long and um yeah it was and and when when you yeah it's it's not the best situation so so it wasn't uh, the covid like directly that did that to you that was the effect of being in a coma for a month uh don't know (laughs) not sure (laughs) yeah fair enough (laughs) I guess the doctors uh, probably do had the similar kind of answer, being like, well, could be something, could be this, could be that. I don't mean to pass along, the, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, if you ask me the circulation, uh, COVID affects circulation, right? That's mm-hmm. part of the reason we had gangrene. So, or I had gangrene. So, like, yeah, it's quite possible um, that it, it was a contributing factor getting worse. Like, apparently nobody, if you, you don't get bed sores uh, if you're in a coma for a month, um, my was the very worst. Uh, there were grapefruits on the side of my on, on my butt. So I got two new huge holes. And if people who don't like me thought I already had a big hole, forget it. <laughs> it was like this one blew it away. And they're like, "Wow, we again, we've never seen this before." And it was having that kind of effect on. And I wasn't the only one. They they said mine was particularly bad, and it's potentially because I have a really big butt. Mm. But. Uh, they said the whole floor had they're called stage four but like when the holes go straight to your bone and just start spreading out to the side yeah it was bad i don't want to give you the image the book is funny audience no, the no. Book- <laughs> i'm not giving the best examples of humor no it's no good. i i appreciate it, it it's the it's but the I am truth sharing the, it right? was bad it was bad yeah, yeah it's true it's the truth yeah. and it's it's fine to share that part of the story you know it's not like it diminishes the other parts of it um yeah but yeah, I mean, okay, so you woke, you woke up or were woken up out of this coma, right? Uh, you spent how long just in the hospital bed before you went to yeah, I rehab? The, I, another month I was in the ICU. And I could say for me, the first week was rough. Like, you know, they say you work, wake up in isolation. I'm divorced. It was not uh, the worst. Yeah. <laughs> I got more attention uh, there than I do otherwise. But when I was that in, in the first week when you're in that in between the, the dream world and this world, that dream world I'd lived for so long, I didn't want to live in this world. This one didn't seem real. The yeah. other world is what seemed real. And mentally struggling um, and still fighting for my life, I could say the depth of pain and loneliness was nothing I've ever experienced before. And uh, I given my mother a hard time, who's elderly and struggling, around always asking attention for me. And I now feel like, oh man, I just, you know, when you don't experience it, you don't know. And then once I experienced that pain, I was like, oh, I need to do more for my mother. And for that matter, everybody. I was like, my God, I, I've been really entirely selfish for a very long time. Hmm. And when you wake up and, and realize 
that, uh, <clears throat> well, I got myself cut in half. So I was like, well, that's, <laughs> that's not really worth doing anymore. And then like you, 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 when you wake up, you feel like what's important is love, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and just, that's when I, I, I said, wow, I want to give up this personal ambition. What changed my life to, to make it about other people, um, as much as I can. Wow. That's huge. Right. And particularly because it doesn't have to go that way. You know, people go through suffering and just become more angry and more resentful and uh, don't take that change for the good or to help people or to embrace love in the world. They go the other way and it, it just, you know, makes them worse. Um, and so yeah, I, it, I remember yeah. this, uh, this Hells, Hells Angel uh, rider was in a motorcycle accident. And he was in a coma for six months. And when when he woke up, uh, he took another I think a few more months of rehab until he's finally okay. And I think his girlfriend said, if I remember correctly, his girlfriend said, so did you learn something from this? And he learned, yeah, I'm invincible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the other side of the coin, right? Uh, you can come out be like, nothing can kill me, you know? <laughs> yeah, Fuck Trump you, was like COVID. a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, he, he, he was pretty bad and then said, oh, look at me, I'm a Superman. Yeah. No, but I mean, you, you took the sort of sage approach, right? Not intentionally necessarily. It just wasn't that, intentional. Yeah, no, just that's just how it happened, right? Yeah, it was not something I thought about, but something that, um, you know, part of it was I woke up and had to really think about significance because uh, I, was, I, I lived the last seven or eight years uh, not living up to my goals and not being satisfied. Um, and I recognized, wow, it's because I was searching for something and not appreciating everything that was in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just so obvious when you wake up um, that it was a, it was a big shift. Um, and then it was funny. A month after that, I, I when I first learned, oh, I'm not going to be able to do a world tour in a month. <laughs> Probably, really, the first moment I they, they had me stand up, and my legs suddenly I, I, I they were not mine. There was like uh, it was the weirdest feeling not being able to walk. Uh, I was like, oh, this is going to take a while. And I got depressed because uh, I had this thought of, you know, maybe I'm not so lucky after all. You know, uh, maybe I'm actually unlucky. You know, my brother wasn't sick. What was the chances I was going to get sick? I, 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 at the time, I didn't think it was affecting younger people. Mm-hmm. And that was the second spiritual message I got. I finally spent a week depressed, really upset. I'm a positive person in general. Suddenly people were saying, wow, you're, you're really going through a lot now. What's going on? And I was just I was like, yo, this sucks. <laughs> like, I'm really, this is the worst. I can't move. I can barely twist. Yeah. You know, uh, I can't do, I can't feed myself. It was not, not pleasant. And um, it was funny, as I finally remembered this very f- famous story called The Two Wolves, where this elder, the Native American elder, he uh, was talking to his grandson. And when he talks to his grandson, he says to him, um, you know, we, we constantly have two wolves inside of us, all clamoring for our attention. You know, they're, they're very, very hungry. One is a bad wolf, very angry, very mean, very jealous, very spiteful. And the other wolf is a good wolf, very loving, uh, for, uh, for, has a lot of gratitude, forgives. Um, it's very caring. Um, and the grandson asks, huh, says, well, which, which, which wolf is going to win? And the grandfather says, the elder says, um, the one you feed. Mm-hmm. And what was weird is until that moment, I never knew what that story meant. And I was just like, oh, I get it. I, I, I understand this now. Uh, 
we we have these two wolves in us all the time and i started feeding the one that said i was not lucky i was actually unlucky look at my situation up until then as nothing changed the only thing that changed is my perspective and suddenly i was depressed and stuck in depression and i recognize it's not that i don't need to notice that there's a hungry wolf inside of me that an angry wolf saying hey i'm angry that one still gets recognized but i don't ignore the one that's also good that says hey um what are some of the things that are important? Like my love, the people I love. And then I have to shift to the things I do love to do, the, the people I like to connect to, the things that I want to be able to be passionate about. And from that day forward to this day, one year later, I live my life every day like that. Not as funny. Sometimes you want to trust your thoughts. But for me, I don't always trust them. If I'm feeling negative, I'm going to hear that's one perspective. That's one wolf. That's not the whole wolf. It pretends it's the whole wolf, but it's not. Yeah. You know? And then what does it take to listen to both wolves or, or multiple wolves? Um, yeah. And yeah. No, I think that's an amazing story and, and it fits perfectly for, you know, describing this phenomenon of, you know, cognitive dissonance of there's so many ways that you can approach something. And oftentimes your mind will tell you that this is the right way or this is the only way or this is how it is. And that's that. And, you know, if it's negative, then it's going to suck because then you, your whole view of things is just exactly through that. And yeah, you, the more you feed it, the more it wants, the more the hungrier the wolf gets, right? And so it, it's, it's about being able to see that that's actually taking place inside of you and then having, well, one, the strength, but more importantly, the courage to be able to recognize that your thoughts aren't always true and that there are other ways that you could look at it. And even if you don't really feel anything else, just that acknowledgement that there is other ways will ease the grip, so to speak, right? And allow you to just take that step back and say, okay, well, let me look at what's actually good right now, right? You know, and for you, it's like I'm alive and I have wonderful people who love me and um, I'm getting excellent care to treat this, you know, really terrible thing that's happened and they're really good things and they're hard to notice a lot of the time when you're in a lot of pain or you know whether it's physical or emotional or mental like the world goes gray and it or black and it you just see that right there's like a veil that you can't look through um but actually you can and uh you know one of the things that in the book that sort of like really resonated with me on this point was how when you were in the rehab center to get walking and moving again, how, you know, you sort of started dancing as soon as you could, right? Uh, and that that's feeding the good wolf, right? Because there's that's so right. much going for you that would suggest that you shouldn't, you should just lie there and not do this or that you can't do it or that, you know, it's dangerous or that all, any number of reasons about why, um, you feel sorry for yourself or whatever it is but something pushed through that and what you were something drove you to start feeding that good wolf again and to start dancing and to listening to music again and phoning people and you know just connecting with the providers around you and i think that that's huge and and that must have helped tremendously um in your recovery right yeah absolutely the 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 first moment um, for me, again, Latin music, it was the Fania All-Stars from the 60s and 70s. That music sings to my soul. Hmm. They even just think of it now, I'm suddenly like 
I, I get a, you know, it's, it's something, and everybody has that. Um, and so it's funny, when I first stood, uh, I was just like, oh no, uh, this is a bad situation. And I think it was the physical occupational therapist who started putting on my favorite music. Um, and then the second time I stood up, uh, we actually, I actually grabbed her immediately, and she thought I was dancing with her. I was just really trying to stay up. <laughs> but like, <laughs> we were dancing a little bit, like just yeah. side to side. And I could say, yeah, the joy I had in that moment, that time, I have a hundred other stories just like that, that adding the difficulty situation of something I enjoyed, that was that made a big difference for me. Mm -hmm. And it's huge, right, to be able to take those small moments as they come because things do look really bad. And yeah. it's really hard to take on and, and really embrace the small moments of victory and it helps to have these wonderful therapists that are there to support you and encourage you and uh, motivate you when, you know, things suck or whatever. And, you know, just encourage every step that you take, just standing up. I mean, it's huge for if you can't support yourself to go from that to then standing by yourself. That's a big milestone, even though, you know, you might say, it's, is it really? I mean, I just stood up. Everyone stands up like oh, blah, blah. Amazing. But that's not how it really is, right? Because you were just thrown yeah, into this world. Yeah, it was important to me to just, I, I hope it came across how much I love these people who yeah. supported me. And, um, they, I didn't know they existed. I'd never had this, uh, I'd never been hospitalized overnight. And all of a sudden, there are all these miracle workers who, by the way, I had still had COVID. They, you know, they were, <laughs> and they, they weren't in the vaccine back then, yet they were determined every day to get me moving a little step. And they said, yeah, it would be like a centimeter more each day, but they made it seem like the biggest thing in the world. And, you know, earlier we talked about like uh, undoing the ambition to appreciate the moment. I really got a taste of that. My dance partner one day, I was sitting down upset. I could really just only move my arm. And she said, great, you're gonna dance for the rest of your life beautifully with that arm. And at first my thought was like, ah, she has no idea what the hell. But then I did it, I moved up, I like gave a gesture upwards like this. And I thought, huh, that's actually pretty cool. And it was that, again, beginning to still acknowledging the, the, the negative wolf, but the positive wolf saying, I can be happy in this moment. And the only reason, really, to be honest, the only reason I wanted to do the grander things, like throw people up in the air, was to, you know, uh, get a standing ovation and have people adore me. And yeah. and I can have that same level of joy right now. Yeah. It's like I don't need that that destination to get there. And I was, it was such a. I put that part in the book as I hope is as an example because I constantly am challenged that way to say how much of my thinking is I need to do something to be happy rather than, you know, I, I talk a lot about my dance partner's son who's one and he loves putting his finger between two cushions, you know, and you would think, what, yeah, what do you whatever, mean? what is that? Uh, sorry. So if you have two cushions on a couch and he like puts his uh, hand in between the two cushions uh -huh, okay. um, and for him, he just loves that feeling. And I was just like, yeah, it's for the father, whatever, you know? Yeah. And then I did the same thing and I'd be like, Woof like this and then we do it together and i was just like oh my god i totally forgot i love putting my hand between two cushions you know <laughs> i totally forgot and like it, it it's it, that level it's a really is a amazing to be around a young person during this time to re-remember you know as he's enjoying walking i'm enjoying walking like i forgot it's tremendous you know imagine yeah. like the first year of your life you can't walk all of a sudden you can you're like yo this is great and how much you know and so it's been 
absolutely a, uh, a bit to undo the ambitions, but then also to undo what we've taken for granted, what I've taken for granted. Um, and, I, you know, I'm on that path. I can't say I'm there, but um, it, it, it is something in my thinking all the time to appreciate a hello from somebody. Uh, I appreciate light now, <laughs> sunlight. Um, and yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's been a big change. And to be honest, the only thing that ever made me happy before was a standing ovation. And I'd get those like once in a while, you know, in a, a good month, maybe a few of them. And, um, you know, in a bad one, I, I could go a year with that one. And like it, that to me uh, was a very poor quality of living, despite having all the opportunities to be happy every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I missed it. And this year has been the best year I've had in a really long time. Hmm. Maybe since I've been one. Yeah, and that's really <laughs> saying something, considering what it's on the back of, right? And not, and that it hasn't been easy, and it's been no. arguably one of the most difficult years of your life, but also one Worst. of the best, right? This has definitely been by far the hardest year of my life. I've never experienced anything like this. In general, I've been a pretty happy person, hmm. get, having a pretty good life. Uh, and... Uh, now you know my therapist my first the first session he told me it looks like you're gonna have to learn how to deal with pain <laughs> <You know? laughs> i was like yeah man i'm not used to that you know yeah. <laughs> and uh a year later i could say um yeah most of my day is is, is very good um and uh but it's been a long journey yeah, yeah. but it's amazing right and hugely inspiring because you know, even people who aren't going through COVID or, or something like that, just to know that despite enormous challenge and difficulty in life, you can find joy and you That's can right. live, you know, wonderfully and peacefully and not necessarily 100% of the time, right? Like that's what life's about is, and life will push you to make sure that that's actually what's happening, right? Like, I mean, it's kind of like the testing thing that we were yeah. saying earlier is yeah. and the better you get at it the more difficult your tests become sometimes um and why that is i don't know god knows we could say but <laughs> you know you sort of just need to look around and you can see that that is the case for most people and then you you approach these challenges with you know this attitude of gratitude and of joy and and of i mean i said gratitude already but like that's you know, and it's wonderful because it doesn't have to come that way, right? And it's really yeah. You don't have to have near death to no. have the same <laughs> Yeah, don't don't go try crazy shit just to see if it works no. for you because it might not. And right. You also might die, <laughs> and then yes, and then who wins? <laughs> um, but it is, and I, I actually really enjoyed that part of the book where you were comparing yourself to the the one year old, right? Where it's like just rediscovering life. For the first time or for years for the second time i suppose but uh it was more i guess a remembering of the the joy that there is in life that kids naturally have because they don't have advanced you know mental games that they play with themselves and they haven't been they haven't been conditioned to just you know accept things as normal and take it for granted and things like that like it's all new and uh, so life is vibrant and it's alive and it's exciting and you know you yeah. can see it like when they when kids walk on the street like they like to jump on the sidewalks and walk That's and right. balance and things like that and they're That's just exactly right yes yeah, and they're just exactly. learning about their bodies right and and how to be and act in the world 
and it's if you take the time to just look it, it's it's wonderful to see because it's just pure joy and there's no thought and there's no trying they're not trying to impress anyone or do anything or achieve anything they're just being and, and being free and something like what's happened to you can re- clearly reignite that in you right particularly when it's all taken away right and you're left with essentially nothing couldn't move by yourself you couldn't eat by yourself you couldn't do anything right you were on the edge of death for a quite a while um and then you had to start reliving your life again right one one step at a time one cent one movement at a time i mean you know that's why when you know it it makes sense to me when you moved your arm in in a sort of the the dancey fashion or whatever you, you had said much more eloquently than i um that that was a, a huge moment of joy for you because you got to experience something that you took for granted and was then taken away from you. And then you were like, oh, actually this is, you know, magical. And you don't, the, the you know, the good thing, which I suppose is why you're sharing your story is to tell people that you don't have to go through that. You can, if you just take the time to notice and just feel things and just be in the world, like you can have that, magical experience of joy and appreciate life and be grateful for everything even the bad things sometimes i mean the you know the weird situation for you i mean i don't know if it's weird for you but it's kind of like there is this weird paradox of like you you had to go through this rough patch to come out even better and wiser on the other side right and to have like you said one of the best years of your life right yeah it's been- and it's not that you were it's not necessarily that you would ask for that to happen to you or to anyone else but since it did happen it's been tremendously <clears throat> excuse me powerful and transformational for you right and that's great and you know it, it's it's a really wonderful story and i mean so you know just to sort of like wrap things up like how so you spent how long in treatment i mean in in rehab sorry yeah, I was in a rehab hospital for 30 days after the ICU for 30 days after the coma for 30 days. So 88 days altogether. Good um, God, that's a long time. Mo- it's a long time. And uh, the moment uh, I got home, um, you know, I was still needing uh, in at home. <laughs> I can tell you how crazy I was, even though I could just I, I, I was able to walk 10 <laughs> That's a funny story. I was able to walk like 10 steps by the time I got home, you know, and that was like, uh, that was, no, no, sorry. That wasn't 10 steps. It was 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Mm. I was able to walk 10 minutes so I could walk the store and back. I was just able to uh, mostly take care of myself. So um, I thought to myself, oh, I'll get on my electric bike and I don't have to pedal very much. I'll get some more exercise. And, uh, you know, I'm, I was careful. I got on carefully. I rode carefully. And I thought to myself, this is no problem. What I didn't think about was not how to get on and, and stay on, was how to get off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the moment I stepped onto a, I get this really shows you how dumb I am at times. <laughs> but the moment, the moment I stopped at a light, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, let me, uh, I still couldn't move my arm more than a few inches. Mm. But I thought it was fine because I could get it on the handlebar. And once it was on the handlebar, it'd be fine. But then I realized, oh, my left side is still numb. That means I can't balance. So, oh, I'm going to fall to the right. <laughs> so I fall to the right and I roll right in the middle of the road. Jesus. And, you know, yeah, I would have died any other time, but you know, because of the pandemic, there, there are no cars there. Right. 
despite it being like Flappish Avenue, it was like a major uh, street in Brooklyn, you yeah. know. And, uh, and I thought that was like, it's like, oh, that that wouldn't that wouldn't end well if uh, I did all that and then died in a, in a dumb traffic accident. Yeah. So I, I I put the bike in the shop <laughs> and I said that's it. <laughs> Just I'm not touching you for months. Yeah. And uh, let me take it. Let me let me see if I can actually learn these spiritual lessons. So yeah. I share that story to say uh, I've learned a lot, but I'm also pretty dumb still. Yeah, and listen, you know that's just how it goes right and so how, what would happen to you just like you say you could only walk for 10 minutes what, what does that mean what would happen afterwards you'd just be exhausted yeah the level of exhaustion i don't this i don't know for other people um but actually i should say i'm uh from the people i saw who had covid back a year ago i was recovering way faster than them and there are other people mm. who uh could only move you know i could move most of my limbs some people could only move one um, and uh, even after a month of being in the hospital. So uh, some people, some couldn't stand. Uh, so for me, my recovery was super fast. Like uh, two months after that, I saw the doctors and they were, they were amazed at, um, but it's partly because I have an acrobatic dance career. So my body was in decent shape. But, um, you know, I still, uh, in that, in, during that time, after 10 minutes, my heart would start burning. I start getting dizzy. And when they, you do it in the rehab center, they measure your oxygen, they measure your heart rate. Mm. So you can see when it uh, drops below 90%. And, um, and, and so, but I actually, I didn't need the, I can feel it in my body. Oh, I need it. I can't go any further. So after 10 minutes, I would just stop. So a lot of walks were 10 minutes walking and one hour of waiting. <laughs> <laughs> 10 minutes walking one hour waiting you know it, it was it was a long it's a long journey like right now i'm able to start doing acrobatics again a few months ago nice. i started doing it again yeah it's pretty great my left arm still has some nerve damage i still have some numbness in my body and uh but i'm able to do like 60 70 percent of what i used to uh it's not it's not too wow. bad um and what's the but, what's the prognosis like long term should, should... <laughs> you know what the doctors say right hey <laughs> You know what the doctors always say, don't right? <laughs> we'll see. They don't. <laughs> they, don't. <laughs> they really don't. Right. Uh, New I get diseases. That all the time, right? Yeah. Fair New enough, disease. man. So, yeah, I could say that the you know it, it's been a journey of slowly uh, going this way, and we don't know. We don't know, but so far so good. So far so good, and I wish you ongoing health. And thank you for sharing your story and for writing this book and, you know, for surviving and making it through. And I'm really glad that it's, uh, you know, you've come out on the other side and, you know, continue living to tell the story and to share your experience with people. It's been wonderful. And so thanks for coming on, man. I I really appreciate it. It's really my pleasure. Thank you for giving this platform. And and, and yeah, thank you. Cool. Uh, uh, and I'll put uh, links to your website and, and your contact info in, in the description for people who are, are interested. And I would highly recommend this book. So, yeah. But uh, until next time, take care.